0: The title message is, what will your verse be? And that'll make sense to you here in a minute. I think most of us, did you, did you have a favorite teacher in school? Uh, I had two. And the first one was my second grade teacher. Uh, her, her name was Catherine Baker. She died last year. She was 90. And the, her sons asked me to do her funeral. And I know that if she knew that I had, was going to do her funeral, she'd have sat straight up in that casket. Cause I wasn't a model student. I joke about that. But, uh, and one of the reasons I loved her, when she paddled me, I knew she loved me when she did it. So that was, that was part of the deal. Now here on the other side, did you have any you didn't care for? Or did you have any teachers that didn't care for you? That was, that's the deal. There was one thing I was never called in school, teacher's pet. I never heard it. It wasn't there. It was impo- you know, it just, just the way it was. My first grade teacher—I've told this story a thousand times. Uh, when you'd misbehave, she would put you in a dark closet. I learned my ABCs in braille. Or she'd put you on the water fountain out in the hallway, and uh, that's why I learned to be a janitor from the janitor because he taught me more, maybe in first grade, than the first grade teacher did actually. Third grade, we had a teacher that would bounce erasers off your head, and. I don't even know if they use erasers anymore. But anyhow, these were felled on one side and wood on the other. And if she threw it and the wood caught you on the head, it'd raise a big knot. So fourth grade, I had a teacher that'd shake you. She'd just grab you and your head would be, that's why I got back problems now. I think she, fifth grade, fifth grade, I had to write 500 times that I'll behave in class. I had a callus the size of a quarter on my finger. It stuck way up. Sixth and seventh grade, the, the teachers were kind of the same. Their big deal was putting a circle on the board. You had to stand on your toes, or that, or stick your head on the chalkboard, and you'd come up with chalk all over your head, but your back would be hurting as well. Now i figured out why well, I've got problems. And eighth grade, uh, the vice principal or the principal had been in a fraternity, so he had a fraternity paddle. And when he'd whack you... You'd go and take your pants down and look in the mirror in the bathroom, and those letters would be imprinted on your butt. <laughs> but the best one on, in eighth grade was my friend Ronald Watson. He was a, a kid that wore uniforms to school, which is kind of funny, those gray and green uniforms that workers wear. Well, him and I got in trouble, and we knew we were going to get that board. So Ronald went in the bathroom and took a whole roll of toilet paper and stuffed it, and, in his back pockets, and so he, he had a humongous bottom when he'd come into the... <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Brooks said, what do we have here, Ronald? <laughs> he bent him over that desk and took all that tissue out and pulled his pants up, you know where, and he put, put the hammer on him. He got another lick than I did. <laughs> I'll never forget that. What do we have here, Ronald? So what... Uh, <laughs> Uh, pretty much, I averaged three paddlings a, a year in school. I know I've told you that a thousand times. But then I got in high school, and there was a teacher that believed in me. Have you ever had a teacher that believed in you? And you knew what? The reason I knew this, I'm my, I was a pretty crazy driver, and Mr. Armstrong had a cutlass Olds, and he would, uh, every. I'll never forget this. My friends thought that maybe he'd lost his mind or something, but... He'd come and find me first period and give me the keys to that car. he said, I want you to go out there and drive my car down around south of town, around the Y. There was something called south of town called the Y. You'd drive around a couple, three miles and come back in, into town. He said, warm that car up, and I want you to take it home uh, so my wife will have a warm car to get into. And he, he helped me behave in school. It worked partially, but it was a, it was a start, actually. When we think about great teachers in school, they inspire us. Uh, there's just something about us that, that draws us in and, and we, want, we want to be like them. This is, uh, this is a clip from Dead Poets Society and we see Mr. Keating doing just that. Let's watch.
1: Words and language, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Now see that look at Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Mr. Hopkins, you may agree with them thinking, yes, we should simply study our Mr. Pritchard and learn our rhyme and meter and go quietly about the business of achieving other ambitions. A little secret for you, huddle up. Huddle up! We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be?
0: What will your verse be? Bill, I forgot to put my, the pictures up of my favorite teachers. I'm going to put those up there. You know that guy. And that girl. Josh says one of the things about working down Carlisle, he doesn't have to worry about their parents calling him at night. (laughs) It's a good good deal. What will your verse be? I think that plays into uh, us as followers of Christ. There's a few who've heard the stories and the good news of Jesus and choose to follow him with passion. It's like a moth to a flame or a bee to honey. There's something that just draws you in and you weld yourself to him. That you've made that commitment in life, actually. And you have decided to follow in his footsteps. And you have decided to be conformed to his image. And that's a choice that you and I, Eve, each have to make, and I think it has to be made every day of our lives, actually. Such students of Jesus are known as disciples, and that's what each of us has called to be, each with our own verse. He's called you out of the world. He's put his mark upon you, so to speak. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's gifted you. And now it's up to us to, 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 to carry, on, carry that out, actually. So what will your verse be as his disciples? What will your verse be as you disciple others and react to those outside Christ, the lost? It's real important how you act to those outside the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, Paul gives those who have chosen Jesus as their life study five commands on how to respond to unbelievers. And they're not merely to be practiced in the classroom or in the church, These commands are to be lived out continually, 24-7. The first command is this, be on the alert. With this phrase, Paul commands us to stay awake, to keep watching, to keep discerning. Jesus also used this phrase often. In fact, our Lord, uh, when he spoke in parables, consistently urging his disciples to stay awake, to listen up. You've probably heard it. The world can be divided into three categories. The few that make things happen the many who watch things happen, and the vast majority who have no idea what is happening in the world. Paul tells us and warns us not to be characterized by the ignorance of the masses, but to always be aware of what's going on around you. And Paul would later tell us for us to be sober-minded, to be alert, to be on the offensive in a sense, because our enemy Satan is prowling around in the world looking to and fro on who to devour. And I would say here this morning that there are some of us that maybe has some lion teeth marks in us already. We could we could compare scars if you will. But there are people that you love and you know that are being eaten away bite by bite by the enemy because he has that power in their lives. We should be aware of that. Here's an awareness check. How alert are you to the needs around you? Are you aware of the pressures and the fears and the victories of those that you do life with? Do you hear more than what is being said? Do you see more than what is obvious? Are you in tune and astute to the Holy Spirit enough to when you're with people in your daily lives, you can see where they're hurting. You can see where they're in need. You can see where they need the touch of Christ. That, the Holy Spirit does that for us if we are obedient to him. Or sometimes we might just be like lethargic students who kind of fall asleep at your desk Second command, stand firm in the faith. As students of Christ, it isn't always easy to take what we've learned and stand firm. Often, Satan waits after school and tries to rip away what we've learned before we've had a chance to live live those lessons. Paul uses the imagery of physical battle to help prepare us for our spiritual struggles, Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. We've heard this numerous times. I think about it and it's something that we ought to do mentally in our minds before we get out of bed in the morning. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. And we all know that they are numerous. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. It's something that... We don't like to think of, but we are at war. You know, there's usually a war going on somewhere in the world. Not so much here. Not in America since the Civil War, but there are wars. But you and I are in a spiritual war every day. And our nemesis is the devil. Verse 13, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle you'll be standing firm Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The attacks will come. Will you be able to stand up to Satan actually and learn the truths that you've learned to be able to battle him off. Or sometimes we get God's protective principles as soon as we walk out of the building. Number three, act like men. He's talking about growing up. We're not to push towards spiritual material. We've got to push towards spiritual maturity and stop acting like kindergarten kids within the context of the kingdom is what he's saying. We need to check our spiritual growth chart. Christians who are constantly demanding their way, complaining about this and complaining about that, or properly recognizing other people or getting mad because you don't get to do this or do that, that 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 shows... Uh, Immature spirit. Immature or spiritual maturity can be charted in believers by their level of indifference to praise and blame. You can chart how strong you are in Christ by how you react to praise or blame. In the hearts of those living to serve God, what others think of them means absolutely nothing. What matters most is what God thinks of us. It took me a long time to learn that. At the end of the day, I, and my, part of my problem is I want to be liked. So that, that causes some issues with me. But nonetheless, I finally got to the point, what matters most is what God thinks. But what about you? Are you easily slighted like a baby to a bottle? Do you cling to your rights? If so, it's time to think about moving to the next class and going into a school of higher spiritual learning. Fourth command, Be strong. This command echoes Paul's prayer for the believers of Ephesus, Ephesians 3, 14 and 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he should grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. You know, the strength to follow Christ isn't created in the gym, or for those, those of us remembers remember Charles Atlas' physique, big strong guy, No, it comes from a tough inner man, one that's strong enough to handle criticism and temptation, sturdy enough to hold you up when the rug gets pulled out from under you or when you are forced to stand alone, that you stay true in the fight. Fifth command, let all that you do be done in love. Paul's final command, add depth to all the others. Without love, you won't be alert and discerning you'll be narrow and suspicious of everyone. If you stand firm without love, you will be an isolated, fanatic, ugly in temperament and intolerant toward the lost. Without love to balance your maturity, you'll be critical and harsh. Instead of being a magnet drawing people to you, you will repel them because who would want to be around you? You notice the one characteristic Jesus said would identify his disciples. Set us apart from the world It wasn't discernment. It wasn't a firm stand or maturity or strength. It wasn't any certain gift. It wasn't being able to perform miracles. Jesus said this, John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, the only place in the world to find grace on tap is the body of Christ. It's the only place where anybody could come in and feel accepted. What's your verse concerning the meaning of love? What's it mean to be really loved by somebody? It means being accepted for who you are. It's how we come to Christ. You don't have to clean yourself up or do this or that to come to Christ. You come to him, and then he helps to get you where you need to be, so to speak. Acceptance means being valued just as you are. It allows you to be yourself instead of forcing you to to be somebody what somebody else wants you to be. I I think there's a lot of misconceptions sometimes in marriage. I I think people when they meet this person they're not 100% sure of all that they do but they're thinking man if I can just get them under my control if I can just spend 24-7 with them I will make them what I want them to be. You know what, that don't work out so good. I'll guarantee you, there can be some changes, but the vast majority of people who stand at this altar, on this stage, over at the Courthouse Square, whatever, when they say those I do's and they slip that ring on their finger, in 50 years you're gonna be pretty much living with the same person. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but talk to my wife. we will be married 50 years this year, and I've just changed a little bit. What do you say, Diane? You got any words on that? You usually have some words of wisdom for the group. No? You think it's true? Well, God bless you, woman. You agreed with me today. It, it is it is what it is we are who we are you know god can't change us but it, 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 he doesn't change us so, uh, so much that you don't know who you are acceptance takes our thoughts seriously it lets you express your ideas even if they sound insane without being shot down or put down it makes you feel free from judgment it lets you feel safe we all don't we long for this kind of acceptance But do we give it to others? Do you do that with others? There are some people that we are in contact with that aren't like us. We're not real nuts about them, actually. Part of the first part of getting people to come to Jesus is accepting them for who they are, because that's the way Christ does. It took me a while, but I finally came up with this in my life to understand that there is no one unredeemable. Now, we all know people we've given up on. It's like Peter. Ah, Jesus, maybe I'll forgive him twice. Jesus said no. 70 times 7, which is infinity beyond. That doesn't make sense to us. But this acceptance is, is such a huge thing. And you know what? People know if you accept them or not. It, it's pretty evident, actually. We need to let this kind of love permeate all of our relationships. So, what's your verse concerning the disciples' reaction toward those in Christ? So, in verse 15, Paul challenged his focus from our responses to non-Christians to our treatment of fellow believers. And he changes from giving commands to almost on his needs begging, he's pleading them. He's pleading them at the church in Corinth how to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what he does. First, he says, acknowledge such men. Paul makes his first plea in verses 15 through 18. Paul planted that church, and they loved him. They didn't want to hear anybody else. They wanted to hear Paul while he was there. Well, Paul was going off to plant more churches and whatever, so he is begging them to acknowledge the leaders that God had put in place. God chooses leaders. That's not on us. We want to think it is. And sometimes we jump the gun, so to speak, but that's not the way Scripture set it up. And I yammer about this incessantly. The church has a Western mindset. We are not a democracy. We are a theocracy, Theo being God. God's in charge. God's the one that appoints. God calls here. God calls there. He allows us to do that and use our minds in that sometimes, but ultimately, God's in charge. Now, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and for Tun- Tunitus and Archaeus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. When Diane and I 23 years ago, I was in San Diego at a church planning boot camp at Point Loma Nazarene College. At the end of that grueling week, they set me down in a circle of like 12 people, and they all assessed me and told me what was good and what was bad, and what, what I needed to work on. And one of the things they said if you ever plan a church, you're going to have to have an administrator because you can't do it. It's not that you can't, it's just not your gift. So Ron and I hooked up, and we got this thing going, and then we called in uh, Steve for worship and and Kurt for the administrative part. I couldn't have done all that. I'll guarantee you, I said this in the first service, if I had to do everything and I had to leave singing, there would only probably be 20 people here next week, and Diana would be iffy. (laughs) It's not my gift. I, I, I don't... You'd get tired of hearing me play that gazoo every Sunday. I'll guarantee you that. You're tired of it now. Amen? Yeah, that's what I thought. So God bless you. So, you know, that's the point. The Greek term for acknowledge means respect. The kind of respect that leads to subjection. Paul was urging these people and saying, Paul was saying, this is not my church. This is God's church. And whoever he calls, you need to love them. And respect them. And that's when he, he said, submit, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, surely because of their service to the church. It's because they love the church and they came in as servants. I think that's how you should select, select church leaders who should be, first of all, servants, and second, of all team players. David Pryor writes this about this issue. And I quote, We tend to give leadership to those who have received one particular kind of education, who have a measure of articulacy and general ability to think and speak on their feet, who measure up to worldly criteria of leadership. But what Paul says indicates that the authentic, solid leadership of a local church will come from people who give themselves to serving the saints. Service rises above everything else. Such leadership does not depend on education, qualifications, degrees, or natural charisma. It comes from the grace of God equipping his people with gifts which enable them to be servants of others in the fellowship of believers. End of quote. And second, he pleads with them this in which we talked about a little bit about last week. He said in verse 20, Greet one another with a holy kiss. He closes with this request that makes many of us squirm in our pews. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. William Barclay explains this first century custom which has been lost. The kiss of peace was a lovely custom of the early church. It was apparently given at the end of the prayers and just before the congregation partook of the sacrament, which is communion. It was the sign and symbol that they sat at the table of love, joined together in perfect love. It was not given promiscuously. Certainly in later times, it was not given between men and women, but between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Sometimes it was given not on the lips, but on the hand. It came to be called simply the peace. Surely never did a church need to be recalled to that lovely custom more than this church at Corinth, so torn with strife and dissension. So within the context of the service, after the prayers, they would call for the peace, and the congregation would love each other. I've been in some crazy situations. I was in a church one time doing revival, and at the end of the service, we'd go to the back door as a country church, and all the people file out. Maybe there were 50 or 60 people. And the pastor there kissed about 50% of the women on the lips on the way out. We probably won't do that here because I'd either have a black eye or a broken nose or a jaw. That's bizarre to me. That struck me as funny. So I don't know whether he was trying to go back to this, but it's just a little weird. And I know some of you guys are saying, man, I don't want that guy slobbering around kissing me on the cheeks. I won't kiss you. Um, Here's the sadness in this to me. It might sound absurd to you. I think the world has taken a lot from the church, taken away from us. And the world in which we live, it is what it is. With the Me Too movement, I can go on and on and on and on how we've created these problems. But nonetheless, the intimacy within the context of the church, I think, has been disrupted by that. In our stiff hands-off society, many of us are afraid to touch other believers. Yet we need to give Affection freely, the squeeze of a hand or a friendly hug or a pat on the back. And one of the best ways to show others our love is through the acceptance we whisper in a warm touch, but it always has to be done in the spirit of Christ. Enough to be said about that, but you understand what I'm saying. that The early church was so intimate that they were always aware of where each other were as far as in needs and whatever. And if you're hurting They didn't have to be told. They were so in tune with the Spirit that they would know that. Remember, we are called to be His disciples. And in a sense, we're all like, uh, we're all in a spiritual classroom with the Lord as our teacher. Some choose to sit in the back and goof off, distracted. They never pay attention to the truth of salvation. That's why I say this often we will be surprised who's in heaven and who's not. I have known people who went to church 20 or 30 years and never came to Christ. They thought because they were part of the body that they came and they tithed, they gave money, that they, God says, well, I'm going to smile on you, just come right on in. Don't work that way. Romans says, well, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to do that. It's not a given and God doesn't have grandkids; He's got sons and daughters. You just can't go in because your family is. I think that's the point. I... Others listen attentively, given careful note, taking careful notes, but they forget it as soon as they take the test. To them, salvation answers the question in the minds, but not in their hearts. Then there are those who hang on the teacher's every word and digest his lessons, letting them change their lives. What kind of student are you today of Christ? As you picture a spiritual classroom, do you sit in the back and look out the window or are distracted? Or do you have God or salvation figured out in your mind, but you've never, never made the connection? Or maybe you are one that hangs on Christ's every words. Praise God if you are, but you have to answer that. Is your primary passion you to learn his ways and follow in his steps. So I ask you this morning, what will your verse be as you follow Christ? Behold how they love one another, an eyewitness once of the New Testament Christians. Can this be said of you and what, what shows in your life that people might ask that of you? The issue of love is in your life is a matter worthy of prayer. So we need to focus on love. We need to constantly evaluate ourselves and where we are within the context of the kingdom and in your life. I say this a lot as well. This many people here this morning, you would, we would be amazed if we'd see a total count. In all of our spheres of influence, how many people that all of us together will come and contact? I would say it would be thousands, to be honest with you. Well, God's got you there for that reason. He's got you there to love those folks and, and try to accept them. Lord, we are a mighty force if we put our minds and hearts into it. So I just pray for each one of us. As we leave this place this morning, first of all, I pray that we're all your kids. We have come to that part in our life when you've knocked on our heart door, Holy Spirit, and we've said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I I know that I sinned. Forgive my sins. I confess them, and I, I repent. I want to change. I want to be your child. Would you forgive me? And you know what? He does, and then we move on. So I just pray, God, that we'd be aware of that, and also that, Holy Spirit, as you come to us, as you urge us to reach out to people, that we might not shirk that responsibility you've given us, but we might do it. Uh, willingly, and with an open and loving heart. I love these guys. Lord, just ask that you bless them. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.